good to have uh, Mary and Scott back with us. God bless you folks. We've prayed for you every, every week. We pray for you. And uh, we're glad you're here. Glad to have all of you that are visiting with us today. If this is your first time, um, we are in a study of the Gospel of John. We're moving verse by verse through this Gospel. And so I would invite you to turn to John chapter 1. This is our, today is our 21st study in this, in this book. I'd like to begin uh, reading. We're talking, we've been talking about the testimony of the disciples beginning in verse 35. testimony of the disciples, and we've been concentrating our our thoughts thus far on Andrew, who seems to step into the forefront of this section. So beginning at verse 35, <coughs> excuse me, the next day, Again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Andrew was not the sort of person that you would notice standing out in a crowd. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't the, uh, he was just an ordinary guy, kind of, uh, not not flamboyant personality. He, he didn't he didn't have uh, the influence that some people seem to have a very strong one on others. He was just an ordinary fellow. You'd never notice him in a crowd. And yet we see that when his name appears in Scripture, it's it's generally not Andrew. I think there's one place where it's just Andrew. But generally, it's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, don't you hate it when somebody says, oh, you're so-and-so's brother or sister. As though they're here and you're here. My wife grew up under the shadow of her brother. And they would say to her, oh, you're you're Wiley's sister. No, well, I'm, I'm Mary, you know. This was Andrew. Talk about standing in the shadows. How'd you like to stand in the shadow of Peter? 
Peter was by far the most flamboyant, the most extroverted member of Jesus' disciple band. God sovereignly designed that Peter would come by the exercise of Andrew's witness. Isn't that interesting? That someone who is behind the scenes, someone who really doesn't stand out, would be the one to bring the most influential person, one of the most influential persons that ever lived to Christ. Now we've been looking at this passage and we first, looking at Andrew's life or his witness, we have seen that God has sovereignly designed that Peter would come by, by way of Andrew's witness. We first looked at Andrew's encounter of Jesus. He followed Jesus. We second, we looked at Andrew's eagerness to know Jesus. <clears throat> he followed him, not only followed him to where he was staying, but stayed with him through that night. Third is the narrative of the disciples' testimony about Jesus and Andrew's express concern for his brother. Now that Andrew has met the Messiah, he is concerned for his brother, which we said last week is generally what happens to people when they become believers. They, be, they get a burden and a concern for the souls of other people. Fourth is, today is Andrew's escort of Peter to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So we see God's sovereign plan being worked out as Andrew goes to find Peter and bring him to Jesus. The unwritten part of this story is that most likely John ran to find his brother James and tell him the same thing. It's not written here, but can't you imagine... Andrew saying to, to John, the apostle, I'm going to find Peter and tell Peter about this. Yeah, I'm going to go find James and tell him. We can only imagine the excitement. Andrew was not satisfied with simply telling of the good news, but it says he brought him to Jesus. Can you not envision the energy and the excitement that Andrew must have displayed as he told Peter, we've found the Messiah. Sort of like that thing that you lost six months ago or a year ago. And all of a sudden, you find it and the excitement of telling everybody, look what I found. And everybody goes, oh, where was that thing at? The word brought in verse 42 means to, it means to guide or to lead someone or something. This word has physical ramifications, but here it also has spiritual ones. I can see Andrew grabbing Peter by the arm. Come on, we, we've got to go. I want, we found the Messiah. I want to show you. So he brought him to Jesus and we can rightfully assume 
that there was faith on the part of Peter as he met Jesus. And this is more than one person just meeting another. This is a supernatural event that is taking place before our eyes. A supernatural calling of Peter to the Son of God as Savior and Lord. Verse 42, then, in this particular section of the narrative, stands out as an independent part of this story. In which we see Peter coming to the Messiah and the Messiah's supernatural knowledge of Peter. Now, some have, I've read that some have argued that this may not have been a supernatural thing, that, that it's very possible that Andrew uh, could have told Jesus about his brother and that John could have told Jesus about his brother James, that they, in the conversation that they had the night before, I don't believe that. I believe Jesus already knew about Peter before he ever met him, before he ever heard anything about him. And we have, we have an instance of that. We'll get to it here in a moment. If you notice carefully, there are two separate statements made by Jesus in verse 42. The first statement is, Jesus looked at him. He looked at him, which gives us the mental picture of the event. We can picture it in our minds this way. Jesus didn't just glance at Peter as though he were just a a person that he didn't know walking up towards him, giving him a look and then gazing or looking away. The word here indicates that Jesus looked intently at Peter. He, he gazed, he gazed upon Peter. I can only imagine how this would have made Peter feel knowing that the Son of God was looking directly into his heart. How would you like that? If someone were able to look directly into your heart. I don't want anybody looking directly into my heart. There are things there that you would not want to see. But Jesus does. And he's the only one who can. It's interesting that this same word is used in Luke chapter 22 when Peter denied the Lord for the third time. Reading from verse 59, and after... An interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And Peter's Peter and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. There's the same word. He looked at him. After he had made that third denial, he looked at him. But it was more than just a, just a glance. It was a, a searching, penetrating gaze. And what did Peter do? 
When their eyes met, Peter began to weep. And he went out and wept bitterly because he knew that he had sinned against his Lord just as Jesus said he would. The second statement we find here is when Jesus looked at him and then he said, You are Simon, the son of John. Now Jesus reveals that he knows all about Peter and then divulged who he would eventually become. This is an act of omniscience. Jesus knew who Peter was, where he had come from. So we see again the calling. We see this omniscience again in the calling of Nathaniel. Drop down to verses 48 and 49. <clears throat> this dispels the, the idea that Jesus would have had prior information about Peter. Notice what it says. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He saw him. Supernaturally. And so Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. He understood that he could not have seen him any other way other than supernaturally. So who is this man, Peter, other than Andrew's brother? Peter is one of the most colorful characters in the New Testament. He could be described as fickle, quick-tempered, impatient, coarse, impulsive, Unpredictable, and even at times violent. You'll recall that it was Peter who pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant when they came to get Jesus in the garden. That's pretty violent. I mean, Peter wasn't aiming for the ear. He was trying to kill the man. And so, wouldn't you think that upon meeting Peter, Jesus knowing exactly who he was and what he was like, that Jesus might say, simply say, ah, hi, nice to meet you, and then go on to someone else. Hmm. But he didn't do that. Jesus looks directly at him. In ways that other people cannot look. Chuck Swindoll writes, Jesus saw people not as what they were, but as who they would ultimately become. This was true in the life of Peter. Now this passage in in John chapter 1 is our first glimpse of Peter in the New Testament. We know him by that name because... We have the whole history of his life. We know him as Peter. But Jesus knew him before he was Peter. And he knew him after he would become Peter. Previous to meeting Jesus, his name was Simon. Simon was a very common name 
in Israel. There are at least nine Simons mentioned in Scripture. So a very common name. The name Simon is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Simeon. And it it means one who listens. One who is a listener. When Jesus looked at at, uh, Simon with his omniscient gaze, he saw more than Simon and said, You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The name Cephas is Aramaic, which is a mixture of Syrian and Hebrew. And many people in the first century spoke Aramaic, especially among the Jews. And so it means a small rock or a stone. That's the meaning. The name Peter is the Greek equivalent of Cephas. And being Greek, it comes from the word Petros, which is, which means a stone or a small rock. Sometimes he is referred to as Simon Peter. We'll look at that in a moment. This new name given to him would change his character from one who listens or hears, which is what Simon means, to one who stands firm like a rock. Now, Peter didn't always stand as firm as we would like to think he would. You recall in Galatians that he departed from the Gentiles and went over and ate with the Jews And Paul had to call him out on it. But Peter made great strides as a a man who was so impetuous, so flippant. He made great strides as Peter. Simon would become the leader that God would use to be a foundational figure for the church's inception. It was Peter who preached the opening sermon on the day that the church was born in Acts chapter 2. It was Peter who opened the gospel to the Gentiles by going to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. His name is mentioned 152 times in the gospels and Acts, 32 times in John's gospel alone. It is clear that Peter is the most prominent of all the disciples of Jesus in the Gospels. So why did Jesus choose this particular name? By nature, Peter was rash, impulsive, and too quick to act. And as the incident in the garden when he cut off the temple guard's ear proved so. He needed to be fashioned into a rock. John chapter 18 verse 10 speaks of this. John became, or he he was a rock, not like a, not like a gigantic boulder rock, 
See, there are two words for, for rock in Greek. One is petros, which means a stone or a small rock. We would call a pebble. The other is petra, which is a gigantic, massive boulder, a mountainous sized rock. And this is what Jesus said in John, in uh, chapter, in Matthew chapter 16. Upon this rock, I will build my church. He's not saying, Peter, you're the rock. He was saying, I'm the rock. Petra. Peter, you're just a chip off of that rock. MacArthur writes, he was usually the first one in and too often he was the first one out. When Jesus met him, he fit James' description of a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Jesus changed Simon's name and it appears, it appears because he wanted the nickname to be a perpetual reminder to him about who he should be, not who he was originally. Isn't that true of all of us? Do you know we all have a new name? We don't have it yet, but we'll get it when we get to heaven and it will characterize who we are in Christ. Don't know what those names sound like or or what they are, but that's what it tells us. These two names characterize the person we know from Scripture, and have they have two apparent contexts. So the name Simon, it appears, is used when it's used alone, it appears that it is used in a Secular context. Meaning that these are the times when Peter was acting like Simon instead of Peter. Notice some of the places, if you will, with me. Turn with me to John, uh, to Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> when referring to his house... And his mother-in-law, we see the name Simon used. By the way, the, the Catholic doctrine that teaches that Peter was not married is, is false. It's hard to have a mother-in-law unless you're married. Notice what it says. Mark, Mark 129. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now that doesn't give us the rest of the story. Mark, uh, Luke chapter 4 does. He rose and left the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they, and they appealed to him on her behalf. So speaking secularly here, it's a, this is about his house. It has nothing, there are no spiritual connotations to, to Simon's house. And so the name Simon is referred to. Notice another one. It's when speaking about his business or his occupation as a fisherman. We see it in Luke chapter 5. Turn there with me if you will. Two passages here. Verse 3, 
getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, didn't use the name Peter, which was Simon's, he asked him to be put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. In, In verse 10, And also there were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So when he's called Simon, it appears that it usually has reference to his secular life or work or relationships. He's also called Simon when when he is seen in his fallen human characteristics like sinful words or actions or attitudes acting like our old self our old sinful self is something that we always have to grapple with just like peter did but did you know that when we get our new name there will be no more sin sin will be eradicated And we'll have a new name that is not reflective of anything sinful done in the past here on earth. Isn't that good? Notice a couple of these situations that tell us that Peter was really no different than us. And in these instances, Jesus calls Peter Simon. Luke chapter 5, verse 5. We were just there. Peter is skeptical and reluctant here to obey the master's command to cast the nets on the other side. And so his eyes are opened when he catches all those fish. His eyes are opened as to who Jesus is. And he is brought into submission and contrition before him. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night. That sounds a little bit like an excuse, doesn't it? We've caught nothing. But at your word, skeptical as he was, I'll let down the net. Do you think there's going to be fish on this side of the boat when there wasn't any on this side of the boat? Can't you hear him saying something like that? But I'll let it down. Okay. He let down the net and what happened? It was filled with fish. So much so that Peter couldn't believe what he'd seen. It was a miracle. Jumps out of the boat and comes and kneels before the Lord and says, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You, you Give up on me. That's what he's saying. Just give up on me. I'm, I'm no good. You ever said that to yourself? I think we all have. Turn to Luke 22. Look at verse 31. Here, Jesus foretells Peter's denial and the weakness of in his weakness in spiritual service to the Lord. And Jesus came back the third time and found him sleeping. He found him sleeping and reprimands all of them, particularly Peter. Notice verse 31. Jesus comes back and he says, Simon, Simon. Oh, Simon. Can't you hear it? Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. 
Simon. Mark 14 says he came and found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that but you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It seems that when Peter needed to be rebuked, the Lord called him by his given name, Simon. John calls him Simon Peter 15 times in this gospel. Maybe John, who obviously knew Peter well because they fished together, was constantly confused about his character and his personality because it was so erratic and so up and down and good one day and bad the next and fine one minute and uh, you know what I'm talking about. I have to say of all the people that remind me of me in Scripture, it is Peter. Because I can be so on one minute and off the next. So up one minute and down the next. Filled with love and concern one minute and I don't care the next. Peter even refers to himself as Simon Peter in 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. And it later became, this, this name, Simon Peter, later became his first and last name. And it was used that way in Acts chapter 10 when the men came to find him. Search for <clears throat> Simon Peter in Simon the Tanner's house. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 7 and 10, the women who came to the tomb had been instructed to go and tell the disciples to wait in Galilee for Jesus to meet them. But we see Peter referred to as the impatient Simon Peter in John 21, verse 3, who got tired of waiting and said, I'm going to back to my old profession of fishing. And he did. And he caught that night another miracle catch of fish that rivaled Luke, the Luke 5 catch. 153, the scripture tells us, of large fish. He finds Jesus on the shore of Galilee with a fire and some food. And Jesus says, bring the fish that you caught, some of the fish you caught for the rest. While they were sitting around eating, John twenty one fifteen says, Jesus, after they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I think he's talking there about the fish. Simon, do you love me more than fishing? Oh, wow. That's not something you ask a Minnesotan, is it? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Forget about catching fish in the, in the sea. 
catch fish among men and feed my lambs. Second context here is the spiritual context in which we see the name Peter used. Some examples are these. You can follow these with me. They're all in Matthew. If if you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 10. Here we see both names are given, but the emphasis is on the name Peter in Matthew 10 verse 2. When Matthew records the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Now, if he wanted to emphasize Peter's former life, he would have just used the word Simon, the name Simon. But he doesn't. He said Simon, who is called, who is named Peter by Jesus. The word called gives us that emphasis. To be called, to become designated with a quality or the name of something. That's what the word called here means. To become designated with the quality of something named. He was named Peter. And Peter would become a great rock to his brothers. Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 and 29. And Peter answered him, Lord, he's out on the sea, walking on the water, Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. He got out of the boat. Look at chapter 15, verse 15. I'm moving through these quickly. Jesus had told the parable. And Peter says, explain the parable to us. That's a very spiritual thing, isn't it? Lord, explain that parable. Chapter 16, verses 15 to 18. Who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. Who do you say I am? Peter speaks right up and replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, Barjona, son of John. For flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And one would say he used the name Simon. Finish verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'll build my church on myself, Jesus said, and you will be one of its foundation stones. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 and 4. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. The transfiguration. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you will make, if you wish, we'll make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. In other words, let's just stay here. 
That vision, Peter wanted to stay and see it more. Uh, There are lots of other instances we could talk about, but I just wanted to get you this indication that Simon is the old Peter and Peter is the new Peter. And sometimes he's both. So we can't say that these words are, are a hard and fast rule, but it appears that that's what we see concerning Peter in Scripture. And there are exceptions. There are always exceptions. The point here is that we're all like Peter in one way or another. We can be spiritual and we can be secular. We all have weak points and failures in our lives that we all have and all have times of victory and spiritual awareness and understanding. We are both carnal and spiritual in many ways. Peter gave in to habits of the flesh, and at times we do too. But he also exhibited great spiritual understanding and actions. He was the first among the disciples, as we saw in Matthew 10. He was the obvious leader of the disciples and the leader of the inner circle of disciples. It was Peter whom the Lord gave the responsibility of encouraging his brothers after the Lord's death. Feed my children, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He was impetuous and outspoken. It was Peter who called out to the Lord that he might come to him on the water. It was Peter who said, I will never fall away from you. It was Peter who said, I'll lay down my life. And then turned around and denied him three times. It was Peter who received the divine knowledge from heaven that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And it was Peter who preached the first sermon to the newly born church of Christ on the day of Pentecost. Andrew had no idea when he brought his brother to Jesus just what God would do With a rough-hewn old fisherman. Who was for the most part uneducated and unrefined. And would have become and would become the apostle to the apostles. The only other person in scripture that could rival Peter would be Paul. And Paul was an apostle out of due season for a different purpose. I think that a lot of us have the characteristics of Peter. And I pray that God would give us the spiritual fortitude and tenacity to become as Peter did A great witness. One who would not take credit for anything done in the spirit. Remember the man he, remember the man that was healed, the lame man at the temple? And they all marveled at what was done and Peter said, this man standing before you is here whole, not because of us, but because of Jesus Christ. 
And he preached the gospel to them. That's what any achievement does in our lives if we follow Christ is it gives him all of the glory for it and none to us. Maybe we become like Peter who started out so rough and so ill-tuned but in the end he was a finely tuned machine of glory for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you that we can come together and worship, sing, participate in the Lord's Supper, and preach the Word of God. We pray, Lord, that you would bless this passage of Scripture that really speaks so clearly to all of us because we're so much like Peter in so many ways, some more than others. And so I pray, Father, that you would use this time to teach us, to speak to our hearts, and to change us, just like you did Peter, who became a great witness for Christ, giving him the glory for all that was done. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.